We'll open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Coming today to another one of the passages that has baffled me for most of my life. And that's because I was approaching it with a question that Luke is not interested in. We read this passage, and my uh, naive question was, how did the Spirit tell Paul not to go and where to go? Luke is not interested in the slightest in how the Spirit did it. He's not interested in telling us how God leads. He's interested in telling us that God leads. So listen to God's word, Acts 16, starting at verse 6. Speaking of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia a colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. Let's pray. Father, please give us the ears to hear your word. Give us the hearts to obey your word. We thank you that you do lead us, and we pray that you would help us to not be obsessed with how you lead us, but rather to recognize that you lead us and that we need to submit when you do lead us. Lord, we praise you for the mission work that jumped from Asia into Europe at this point in the narrative. We thank you for the progress of your kingdom. We pray that you would help us to listen now, free us from distraction, give us open hearts, that we might receive the seed of the word and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. How did the Spirit speak? Luke doesn't say. In a certain sense, Luke doesn't care. The message is that Christ is still ruling. As we have seen throughout Acts, the whole book is about the progress of the kingdom. Here the kingdom progresses in a major way from Asia to what we call Europe. It jumps across that strait there between Turkey and Greece. And the missionaries are now proclaiming the gospel in Europe. The kingdom is progressing. The kingdom is expanding. And it's done through the leadership of Jesus exercised by his spirit. God doesn't just rule human hearts in conversion. He doesn't just rule moral choices in the law. But he also rules mission work. Where we go, what decisions we make. So let's look at this passage. When you just read it, it seems a little baffling. When you fill in the details, it makes a lot more sense. So what was the original plan? Before we can see 
the change. We have to know what the plan was. The plan is found in chapter 15, verse 36, that we looked at last Sunday. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So what was the plan? Well, the plan was to do the first missionary journey all over again. So most of you have a Bible that has a map of Paul's missionary journeys in the back. I encourage you to look at that and you'll see the first missionary journey, which we saw they sailed across to Cyprus and then they went across Cyprus. They went up into Asia and then back around through Asia towards Syria. Asia was what it was called then, Asia Minor. Now we usually refer to it as Turkey. Then they got almost back to Syrian Antioch, turned around and came back to Syrian Antioch the long way. So we talked about that at length over the course of several sermons. Now it's been some time elapsed. The Jerusalem Council has passed. Paul says, let's do it again. So what's the plan? The plan is to do missions work there in that southern, uh, that southeastern quadrant of Asia Minor. So, of course, then the blow up with Barnabas happens. Barnabas goes to Cyprus, so they don't go to Cyprus. They instead go back to Lystra and Derbe, the final cities that they evangelized on the previous trip. They're in Lystra and Derbe. So far, so good, right? The plan has been fairly launched. We're going to go back to where we were before. We're starting where we ended last time with Lystra and Derby. They go through there. They pick up Timothy. And then they set off down the road toward Phrygia and Galatia. Now, they don't go, apparently, to Pisidian Antioch, which would have been the logical next stop. That was where they were before Lystra and Derby on the last trip. But Luke makes no mention of them going to Pisidian Antioch. Somehow the plan is already starting to be derailed. So there's no Pisidian Antioch. They keep trying. They say, okay, Lord, where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to go? And they try to go left toward Asia. If you think of a road that runs across Turkey from the southeast corner up to that coast there where it almost touches Europe. They're trying to go left down into the southern part of Turkey toward Asia. The Spirit doesn't allow them to do that. So then they try to go right up towards Bithynia, and the Spirit doesn't allow them to do that either. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in the province of Asia. No turning left, no turning right, and apparently no turning around. So eventually they come to this province of Mesha. Nothing happens there. They keep walking and eventually they wind up at Troas. Now where is Troas? Well, today, to go by road from Iconium to Troas is 460 miles. Paul was a lot of things. He was not a vehicle owner. Takes nine hours by car today to go from Iconium or modern Konya, Turkey to the ruins of Troas. So 460 miles, and by road, the shortest route on, that you can find on foot is 437 miles. So put that into terms of time, that's 14 10 hour days. 
of walking. Two straight weeks of walking from 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. with a lunch break. That's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy end up doing. Now, I don't know about you, but that I would feel that my plan had been taken out behind the barn and euthanized at this point. God, I came to visit churches. I had a mission. I was going to see the people that I love in the various places I evangelized. It was a trip I knew I could do. I've been there before. I have friends in every city. There's a church that would be dying to have me. And God says, no, don't go back to those places. The spirit of Jesus would not permit it, says verse 7. Now, that's the only time in the whole New Testament that the phrase, the spirit of Jesus, appears. Spirit of Jesus Christ appears in Philippians 1, which we just read. So isn't that interesting? Paul is on his way to Philippi, and the spirit of Jesus is the one who forced him to go to Philippi. He didn't know he was on his way to Philippi. That's where the spirit was taking him. And so, what is, what is Luke telling us? Well, they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit, verse 6. They're forbidden by the Spirit of Jesus, verse 7. The Spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, as we confess in the Nicene Creed. That is, a word from God that comes to you through the Holy Spirit is also a word from Jesus. And even to call him the Spirit of Jesus indicates to us that he proceeds from Christ as man. Not ontologically, but in his mission into the world. The Spirit is sent to us because Jesus is a human being. Which Luke already emphasized back in chapter 2. Jesus has ascended into heaven and now he pours out on you these things which you see and hear. Because... Christ as man sits at the right hand of the Father. Now he gives the Spirit to us as men to obey his Father. So the Spirit of Jesus, right? Jesus has disappeared from the narrative in one sense. He ascended into heaven back in chapter 1. But he's still involved in directing where the missionaries go. He's telling them, don't go left. Don't go right. Don't turn around. Don't go where you have friends. Just keep walking across Asia. Two weeks under the hot sun, not allowed to preach the gospel, not stopping in synagogues, not planting new churches. But imagine the frustration. Lord, we're two weeks out of our way. We're further and further from home. Why, why, why won't you let us get out there and do mission work? God, it's not like we're trying to do something evil. We're trying to do something good. But God has other plans. So the plan is redirected, and they walk and they walk and they walk for two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, they come up to the Mediterranean that little northern branch of it there that goes up and into the Black Sea, a place that we're likely, apparently, to all become much more familiar with in the next few months, the way things are looking. Well, they come down 
to the beach, and there they are. It's Troas, and they can't go any further. We can't turn light, right, we can't go left, we can't go back, and now we can't go ahead either. So they go to bed. And in the night, Paul has a vision. The plan is now completely reimagined, not just redirected, but this is a whole different enterprise than the original plan of going and seeing the churches that they had planted. So they're on the beach in Troas. Paul is asleep and he has this vision. A Macedonian man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now this isn't particularly relevant, but almost every commentator asks the question, how did Paul know the man was a Macedonian? Which is utterly baffling to me because the guy says, I'm a Macedonian. Or at least he refers to Macedonians as us. Right? If a Mexican comes to me in a dream and says, come to Mexico and help us, I won't say, are you really a Mexican? How do I know that you're Mexican? I mean, one could imagine an Arab saying, appearing to you in a dream, turban and everything, and saying, come over to South Korea and help us. You would just say, well, there must be Arabs in South Korea. But Paul sees a guy, he looks like a Macedonian. He says, us, regarding Macedonians, so he's a Macedonian. What is Macedonia? Macedonia is that northern part of Greece. So uh, Greece today claims the legacy of Macedonia. Greece has had a big fight with its neighbor to the north, the Republic of Macedonia. And in fact, Greece has forced the Republic of Macedonia to change its name to North Macedonia so that everyone will know that Greece today is heir to the legacy of the Macedonians because why are the Macedonians cool? They produced Alexander the Great, whom the Greeks like to claim, but he is Alexander, not of Greece, he's Alexander of Macedon. That's his name. That's where he's from. Macedonia is, therefore, what we would call one of the Balkan countries, the southernmost of the Balkan countries, just to the north of classical Greece. So they... Paul, in other words, what? It's right across the ocean from Troas. You just cross that little strip of the Mediterranean as it pokes north there, and you are in Macedonia. Paul is there in Troas, sees this Macedonian man saying to him, Come over and help us. Paul immediately translates that as. Help us by preaching the gospel to us. Not come over to Macedonia and do a barn raising, but come to Macedonia and give us the assistance that we need to come to know Jesus. Now, he sees this vision, and then they evaluate the vision. After he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice that Luke says, concluding, and also Luke appears for the first time here. We sought to go to Macedonia. Luke apparently was in Troas, and the team met up with him there. And that night, Paul has the vision. But what do they do with the vision? 
This is very important. They conclude is the Greek verb. That means piecing information together. They put together the evidence and evaluated it. He doesn't say obeying the vision. He says concluding that the vision was a word from God. In other words, who made the decision on how to interpret the vision? The team did. The team didn't check their brain and say, oh, I think a Macedonian wants us. We got to go. Got to go. This is what God said. They added up the evidence they had. They put the pieces together. What pieces of evidence did they have? Well, number one, God had prevented them from carrying out their original plan. No Pisidian Antioch. None of the other cities that they visited. No Cyprus. And so there's that. Second, he had brought them all the way out here. We've seen this pattern before. Peter goes north, and he goes north, and he goes north. And he's at the very edge of Palestine, past Samaria, and then he's called another 10 miles to the home of Cornelius. The gospel comes right up to the edge of Gentile territory in chapter 8, and then it makes the jump in chapter 10. So Peter comes up to the edge and then moves to the next stage. Now this same thing is happening. We're at the edge of anywhere mission work has been done before. We've done mission work in Asia Minor. We're at the edge of Asia Minor. God seems to be telling us to make the jump to a new territory. And third, the vision was a call to do what they were already doing. That is, to preach the gospel. It wasn't a call to come over to Macedonia, take a five-year contract as a tent maker. Not a call to stop preaching the gospel or to find a new career, but a call to do what they were doing in a new place. So what can we say about this? The nature of God's guidance was strictly regarding where to engage in the work they had already set out to do. If we transpose this whole cloth to today, where do we find God's direction? Only on where to minister. Right? You will only find this sort of direction if you're expecting to be directed just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You'll only find this after God has called you to be a missionary. You've been commissioned by your local church. You've served a successful first term. Come back on furlough. Then been sent out again except God calls you to the country next to or the province next to the one you thought you were going to. Right? This is not a case of Paul, Silas, and Timothy going about their business, having a vision in the night and saying, I'm going to move to a new country. I'm going to change my calling. I'm going to do something radically different than anything I've done before. That, that's not how God directed them. But only, right, if we just transfer the situation as it is here in chapter 16 to today, only after you've been commissioned as a missionary, served a successful first term, come back, been sent out again, 
Can you expect that God will give you this sort of inner prompting or whatever it was that the Spirit used to tell them, don't go left, don't go right, go straight ahead to Troas. In other words, don't expect too much from God in the way of daily directions on how to live your life. God is perfectly capable of pointing out a particular house. He does it for Peter, finding Cornelius, and Cornelius finding Peter. He, of course, does it for the wise men with the star of Bethlehem. But he doesn't say to Paul, I want you to cross to Philippi by this particular route, and once you're in Philippi, I want you to stay in Lydia's house. Now, he doesn't say go to Philippi, In Thessalonica, he simply says, go to Macedonia. You pick how to get there. You pick the city. You pick how long to stay. You pick what to do while you're there. God directs, yes. But his direction is very specific, very targeted, and beyond that, very open-ended. Go to Macedonia and help. For how long, Lord? Where? What cities? When? God doesn't address those questions. In other words, what do we not read here? That God laid a burden for Philippi on Silas's heart. We don't read that. The Spirit of Jesus did not whisper to Timothy that they should take the one, the ship that stops at Samothrace for the night. Doesn't say that. God's guidance said, preach in Macedonia, and then it stopped. It didn't say any more than that. It said, don't preach in Asia. Don't preach in Bithynia. Preach in Macedonia. In other words, how do you find God's will? Well, you find God's will by going to the Ten Commandments. That's God's will, that you keep his commandments. And beyond that, you can't force God to decide where you should work, who you should marry, what calling you should pursue. That's not his job. That's your job. It wasn't God's job to pick out for Paul and Silas the best ship to get to Philippi in. That was their job. God is perfectly capable of pointing out a particular house. He he did it for Ananias. Go find Paul on the street called Straight at a certain house. But most of the time, he's not going to give you a vision where he says, here's the house you should buy. Here's the car you should purchase. Here's the direction for your life. Here is the organization I want you to work for. We tend to read passages like this and say, God guided Paul and Silas. God will guide me like that if I just ask him. Without taking the trouble to actually see how God did and didn't guide them. God said one thing, go to Macedonia and help. And he didn't say any more. And also, right, of all the missionary journeys in Acts, this is one point on one journey where God tells them where to go. The rest of the time, it appears to be Paul's initiative. 
that takes them to the next place. Or, of course, it was God's initiative that brought Peter to the home of Cornelius. The primary way people decide where to go is by using their sanctified common sense, not by God giving them turn-by-turn directions through their day. God brought Paul to Troas and said, go to Macedonia. Luke is not interested in how God directs. He just wants us to see that he directs. God did direct Paul. Jesus is still ruling even where his missionaries go. So be open to the leading of God and understand especially that you can't be stuck to your own plans. You may have to submit to God in the face of your plan. Right? All of us are going to say, I didn't plan on my child getting horribly sick and being permanently disabled. I didn't plan on having a degenerative disease strike me. I didn't plan on my family going haywire and my children walking away from the faith. I didn't plan on losing my money. I didn't plan on having my car die just at the most awkward time. I didn't plan on walking across Turkey for two stinking weeks. Right? And that's the application. Next time you find yourself walking across Turkey for no apparent reason, don't say, God, what's wrong with you? Why am I here? Say, God, you brought me here and I want to do what you want me to do. And notice that the whole team was agreed. Paul and Barnabas disagreed on whether to take Mark. Paul and Silas didn't disagree on whether God was calling them to Macedonia. If God is calling you somewhere, check it with your spouse, your elders. If they agree that God is calling you, so far so good. If they disagree that God is calling you, listen to that. If Paul comes and says, I saw a Macedonian guy in my dream, and Silas and Timothy say, no, no, that's not what God has for us. God wants us to start a church in Troas. That is why we're here, Paul. Then Paul needs to knuckle under and say to the team, we're going to do what the team decides. Uh, my parents one time knew a girl who was convinced she was called to Bulgaria. Her parents didn't think so. Her elders didn't think so. The guys who kept proposing to her didn't think so. But she was certain. <coughs> Bulgaria is where it's at. And eventually one of those guys got through and they're now happily married. But this is something that the Lord is telling us by showing us the three missionaries, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, hoofing it across Asia. And if you think you're called to somewhere, your team will agree with you if it's really from God. And then finally, be open to calls to ministry that cause your plan to be redirected or completely reimagined. This is way beyond any ambition that Paul, Silas, or Timothy had. They were ministering in one specific spot. That was the plan. 
God took him to a whole different place. And you may have plans that you should say, I can't serve as an elder. I can't teach Sunday school. I couldn't possibly be a foreign missionary. Too old, too sick, too ungodly, too new, too godly, right? We can have all kinds of excuses that are even the opposite of each other. Paul, Silas, and Timothy could have said, you know, Lord, if you want us in Greece, in Macedonia, we could have paid a ship and then had a little bit of a relaxing time to get there instead of walking the whole way. God will direct you where he wants you to go. And if he's calling you to ministry, even to foreign missions, don't shut him down. God will guide you. They went way further than they planned. You and I might too. And if so, praise God. Jesus is directing us, building his kingdom through where he positions his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you brought Paul, Silas, and Timothy across Asia, dumped them on the doorstep of Europe, and then brought them across to Neapolis and Philippi. Lord, we ask that you would help us not to be wedded to our plans, not to be stuck to our own ideas of what we're going to do, but also, Father, help us not to be credulous and interpret every dream and every feeling as you're leading. We pray that you would give us the wisdom to submit to you, especially as you guide us through your elders, through the team of which we have been made a part, this congregation. Help us, Father, to submit to your leading. Thank you that you lead us, that you take us exactly where we ought to be. We praise you for that. In the name of your Son, our Lord. Amen.